Good to see you. Good to be together. Uh, those of you who are here in the sanctuary and those of you who are with us from home or from travel or stuck in one of many airports around the United States of the world uh, this morning, uh, we're glad you're able to join us from O'Hare and Midway and JFK and DFW and wherever you may be. Uh, we're deep in the summer of uh, travel for the first time in a few years, so um, good. Uh, tomorrow, many of us will celebrate the birthday of our nation, the United States of America. That's tomorrow. But today, July 3rd, we get to celebrate the birthday of someone who has more years under their belt than maybe, well, almost anyone else here. Uh, someone who has been among us in this congregation for decades, a servant leader, a person whose uh, life is a deep well of wisdom and grace through whom uh, most of us have been blessed and all of us are grateful. So, Gail Masters, would you stand up? <laughs> and I, th I think we have a song for you. All right, let's stand up. Happy, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Gail, happy birthday to you. That was kind of fun. We can do that in a little church. We love you. And uh, we're not going to name your age, though I'm sure you would be glad for us to, but um, we're grateful for all of your years. We're continuing uh, this morning with our series of messages about love. Our purposes in this series have been many. Uh, among those purposes have been to help us and to encourage us to live, in the, live into and live out of the first of our values as a congregation, to love all people unconditionally, to love all people unconditionally. Let's say, uh, let's, I think our... our uh, Values are going to be up here on the screen. Let's say just the opening uh, prologue and that first value together. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally. Why don't we keep going? Serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Absolutely. And over the course of this series, we've seen in the scriptures and we've talked about the fact that God is love and that within the triune God, there exists Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who somehow love each other and participate in this dance of mutual love, pointing to the other, giving to the other, glorifying the other, wanting good and glory for the other. And we've talked about how this triune God, whom we know in Jesus, expresses love, exudes love, enacts love, demonstrates love, particularly in and through his son Jesus, to humanity, to us, while we were yet sinners, apart from anything we've done, earned, merited, or achieved. That is God's love. That is who God is. That is how God is. That is how God has been and continues to be with us. And we've seen and we've read in the scriptures God's call to us or his invitation to love others, 
to learn the way of Jesus, our rabbi and savior, and to live out that love, sort of completing this chain of love or this series of love, which we will see in the scripture that we read in a few moments. God is love, God loves, God calls us to embody, to embrace, to welcome, and to continue that love to others. Two Sundays ago, reading from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in the ancient Greek city of Corinth, we read and talked about the fact that love is patient. Last Sunday morning, we talked about uh, the fact and reality that Paul continues with, that love is kind. A number of you made a uh, commitment last week to uh, practice kindness. We talked about how uh, using the little kind bars as an example about how our culture, our world, our society, and particularly the place in which we live is hungry for kindness and how kindness isn't just being nice, but it is also one of the fruits of the life of someone who is filled with God's spirit. And we agreed, many of us, to give our best to practice kindness each day over the last seven days. How many of you were intentional about that for at least most of the last week? Good. And was that a good, positive experience for you, for you, over the course of the past week? Was that a good, positive experience for most of you over the past week? Ah, yes. oh, what a relief. What a relief. I ran across a question this week that kind of pertains to this. Uh, and I thought, that's a compelling question. And that question was this. How is your life working out for the people around you? How is your life working out for the people around you? And I think that's a real important question uh, for us as Christians. Uh, we're not supposed to just keep that love from God in a box or a container or a vessel for ourselves, but it's meant to be passed on, lived, expressed, demonstrate, demonstrated, exuded. And so it's a real relevant question for us, especially as we go through this series on love. How is your life working out for the people around you. We've talked, one of the things we've talked about is that uh, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love each other, by the way that we love, by demonstrations of love. And the people around you, me, us, ought to be able to sense that. Uh, other people's lives around us ought to be working out better because we're trying to follow Jesus and living in his spirit. So we're going to talk more about this in a moment and the next step along this path of uh, love. But first, uh, before we jump into the scriptures, let's pray together. We praise you, God, as the one who is love, who is the furnace of love, the wellspring of love, the source of love, love in and of your very self, love to the core of your being. If you had DNA, if you do, it is love. Thank you for loving us. Help us through your time and your word to grow in love, to grow in knowledge about love, to grow in our desire and intention to live love. Help us through your grace and your spirit to become more and more the love that we see in Jesus, your son. 
I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way, shape, or form from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me now to chapter 15 in uh, what we call the Gospel of John. Uh, Its original name is the Good News According to John. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 15, page 764 in your Blue Pew Bible, if you want to follow along in the Blue Pew Bible, page 764. Chapter 15, uh, this occurs in what is called uh, by scholars, biblical studies people, Jesus' farewell discourse. Uh, or his farewell message, his uh, last words. Uh, So Jesus' farewell discourse in John's gospel, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, they they contain uh, the uh, parting teachings of Jesus to his 11 disciples. Uh, They immediately follow chapter 13, where, of course, where uh, Jesus spends that last supper with his closest disciples, the 12 and then the 11, That's chapter 13 of John, then chapters 14, 15, and 16, and 17, Jesus' farewell discourse, in which, during which, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be going away. He promises them that he will send them his spirit. He bestows upon them peace, and then Jesus prays for his disciples. That's John 14, 15, 16, 17. Now reading from chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Listen closely. This is God's word. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And in the end, we'll come back and talk about what that fruit is. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's all about the fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If, uh, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ah, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, students, apprentices, pupils. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That circle, that dance. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you, this pass it on thing. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, whatever. This is my command, love each other. And those last six verses, verses 12 through 17, are considered by some scholars to be the pinnacle of Jesus' farewell address, the peak, the high point of those four chapters laid in John's gospel. 
And those six verses are bracketed by verses 12 and 17, which read, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then 17, this is my command, love each other. Love each other, love each other, and more specifically now, love each other as I have loved you. In the same way, in the same manner, And those words are actually an echo of Jesus' words at the end of chapter 13, right before chapter 14, over dinner, around the table, in that supper. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We remember, we talked about those things. The identifying mark, the chief characteristic of Jesus' people is not a whole bunch of things that we might think that it is, is or could be but that they love one another. The chief mark, the leading trait or characteristic of Jesus' people, someone in whom Jesus' spirit dwells, is love. And now in verse 13, Jesus describes what the greatest love for others would look like, does look like, laying down one's life for one's friends. Let's say that together. Laying down one's life for one's friends. Bam. This is the peak. This is the pinnacle. This is the high point of Jesus' farewell address. The greatest kind of love, Jesus says, is to lay down one's life for one's friends. And yet, frankly, honestly, I think that this isn't even on the radar of most Christians. It's not even on the radar of most churches. These words of Jesus never have made it to refrigerator magnet status. I bet you can go looking for a mug with a cute Bible verse on it, and you won't find this one. That we're called to lay down our life for our others. Here's a, here's a mug for you. Happy day. I've never heard someone say, this is my favorite Bible verse. Some people talk about their life verse, right? You ever know anyone who says, my life verse is to lay down my life for others in love? Maybe so. That'd be great. I think it's not even on most of our radars, though. We adore the precious moments, Jesus, as a culture. We are strangely transfixed by the look off into wherever Jesus we dig the cool hipster friend, brother Jesus. We carefully revere the icon Jesus and the stained glass Jesus. But what do we do with Jesus who calls his followers to lay down their lives? Huh. Most people come to Jesus asking, what can Jesus do for them? What can Jesus do for me? And Jesus actually does stuff for people. He does good stuff. He does great stuff for people, for you and for me and for lots of people. He does good stuff. But a part of that stuff, or and a part of that stuff, not but, but and, when we step back and look at it, a part of that good stuff, counterintuitively, is his calling his followers to to love or to a life of love or to a life of loving that involves denying oneself, taking up one's cross, losing one's life, which actually sounds really hard and not just in countercultural ways, but also is contrary to our very nature. It's contrary to all of our DNA. It goes against the grain of our being. 
evolutionary or evolutionarily or otherwise. Our spirits. But to this he calls us with good stuff because it actually turns out to be good stuff. When we become love, when we learn to love, when we exude love, when we pass on his love, when we love, even to the point of laying down our lives. Here's uh, one of the definitions that we've used for love during this series. To be actively and selflessly committed to another person's well-being, regardless of the other person's worthiness and expecting nothing in return, which we could amend this morning to say to lay down one's life for another person's well-being, regardless of the other person's worthiness and expecting nada in return. Yow. We don't often think about the waters of baptism. We've baptized uh, a number of folks, four folks over during the last few weeks. We don't often think about the waters of baptism in Jesus' name as being about laying down one's life for others, as Jesus did. But that's certainly a part of the package. It was the way of Jesus, in whose name or character or will we are baptized. Remember when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't sitting on a big rock somewhere in Athens talking philosophy with the Greeks. He wasn't debating with the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees the Old Testament law. Remember where Jesus was when he spoke these words. He was preparing to lay down his life for other people. Jesus was in the thick of it. He was in the process. He was in the pipeline at that moment. The dominoes had begun to fall for Jesus. Oh, but he was a part of this process voluntarily. But it had begun. The coming hours would go like this for Jesus. Teach, pray, retreat, pray, agonize, pray, be arrested, put on trial, scourged, beaten, mocked, nailed, crucified, ridiculed, questioned, speared, killed, laying down his life for others. And so this is not fancy talk. This is not a synagogue sermon message by Jesus. But it was very much where he was, real life, his mission. Greater love has no one than this. He's living into the fullness and the reality of love at that moment. Greater love has no one than this to lay down their life for their friends. And there it was. For Jesus' disciples to see, for the whole world to see, the voluntary laying down of one's life for one's friends, that, Jesus says, is love at its greatest. And Jesus wasn't speaking more metaphorically. He's about to lay down his life. And at the same time, he's inviting his students who've traveled with him, apprenticed with him, watched, watched him, learned, listened for three years. Now he's inviting them to the same way, to the same life, to the same path. Of course, Jesus wasn't suggesting to his disciples that they would or could ever die for the sins of the world, atone for other sins through their death, be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, not in the same way. But Jesus was nevertheless calling his disciples to the same kind of love then and now. Of course, most of the 11 disciples to whom Jesus was speaking at that moment in the upper room would, in some way, shape, or form, capacity, lay down their lives. They would be martyred. 
they would die in the name of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, attempting to live out the message, the gospel, the love of Jesus. That would be their destiny as well. I think of others along the way in the early centuries, later centuries, our lifetimes for many of us who have traveled that same path. I think of the Polish priest Maximilian Kolbe, who for a long time provided shelter to the thousands of Jews in Poland, which is obviously back in the news, hiding them from Nazi persecution in the frowery over which he was the head. On February 17th of 1941, he was arrested by the German Gestapo and was imprisoned in the Powiak prison. Three months later, on May 28th, he was transferred to Auschwitz as prisoner number 16,670. About two months later, in late July of 1941, three prisoners disappeared from camp, presumably having escaped or attempted to escape, prompting the prison camp's deputy commander to pick 10 men to be starved to death in an underground bunker in order to deter further escape attempts when one of the selected men cried out, my wife though, my children. Colby volunteered to take his place for what they knew was a tortuous experience ending in death. But in that bunker, Colby celebrated Mass each day and sang hymns with the prisoners. He led the, others, the other condemned men in song and prayer and encouraged them. Each time the guards checked in on them, he was standing or kneeling in the middle of his cell and looking calmly at those who entered. After two weeks of dehydration and starvation, only Colby remained alive. The guards wanted the bunker emptied, and they gave Colby a lethal injection of carbolic acid. And knowing that was coming, he simply stuck out his left arm and received it, having laid down his life for his friends. Or I think of Jim Elliott, who with his three friends in the 1950s took the good news of the gospel of Jesus, love, to the Huani people of Ecuador, who are also known as the Aka people, which in their language meant savage, of people who pretty quickly would kill Elliot and his three friends because they didn't know that they came in love. They didn't know love. They didn't know the God who is love until later on when they gladly, joyfully, gratefully received that message and embraced the gospel of the kingdom that is coming. Or I think of Martin Luther King who knew very well what he was getting into all along the way. Or Oscar Romero, who, like many other priests for decades, have in love spoken out on behalf of the poorest of the poor, the oppressed, the persecuted all over Central America, even through today. Being murdered, shot down, killed, assassinated by the hitmen of the warlords and the cartels. Or differently, Pat Tillman, who walked away from his best life now, as an all-star defensive back in the NFL, living out his dream playing for the Arizona Cardinals, who when given an opportunity to enlist as a private, rejecting millions of dollars of fame and glory, who had the opportunity and took it to enlist as a private in the United States Army so that he could fight in a war in Afghanistan 
that he thought was a part of what he was being called to as a way to serve and bring liberty and freedom and peace to millions of people. Less than two years after he enlisted, he was killed in battle, a reality that he knew was very possible when he signed up. So two weeks ago, we left here talking about, well, how can we be patient this week? Last week, we talked about on our way out, how can we be kind and will we make a pledge to practice random acts of kindness for the next seven days? What are we going to do with this passage? What are we going to do now with Jesus' words? Goodness. Maybe none of us here will ever actually literally physically lay down our lives, our respirating, heart-pumping bodies for our friends or for others, but might we at least be open to such? To the possibility that God may be calling one of us, some of us, all of us, to something like that as we dare to apprentice with Jesus. I'm just giving it to you as I read it. In her uh, little book, Bird by Bird, she's a fun writer, kind of irreverent at times, but if you can get beyond that. Anne Lamott writes, recounts a true story. An eight-year-old boy had a younger sister who was dying of leukemia, and he was told that without a blood transfusion, she would die. His parents explained to him that his blood was probably compatible with hers, eight-year-old boy. And if so, he could be the blood donor. They asked if they could test his blood. He said, sure. So they did, and it was a good match. Then they asked if he would give his sister a pint of blood, that it could be her only chance of living. He said he would have to think about it overnight. The next day he went to his parents and he said he was willing to donate the blood. So they took him to the hospital where he was put on a gurney beside his six-year-old sister, both of them were hooked up to IVs. A nurse withdrew a pint of blood from the boy, which was then put into the girl's IV. The boy lay on the gurney in silence while the blood dripped into his sister until the doctor came over to see how he was doing. Then the boy opened his eyes and asked, how soon until I start to die? It would seem that the body of Christ, the people who are in Christ, who are seeking to walk in the steps of Jesus, might have at least a similar disposition to this eight-year-old boy. Or differently. What might it look like for you or for me to love in the way of Jesus? I have a friend named Brian, who as a very young man, had an opportunity to give one of his kidneys. We've got two, thank you God, to give one of his kidneys to his father, whose two kidneys had both failed. And Brian didn't hesitate. And as I walked with him along that, I thought, that's, that's awfully generous, you're a young man. Your dad's kidneys went bad. Your kidneys may go bad one day. You may need that second kidney to make it to 30, bro. No hesitation. 
This is love to lay down one's life for one's friends. Do we jump at the chance even to donate blood for which most of us basically have an endless supply? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I don't like needles, we say. Have you volunteered to be tested to donate bone marrow of which most of us have plenty to share? Few people do. Vocationally, do you take a vocation? Do you pursue a vocation? In pursuing whatever vocation one has pursued, with the idea of laying down one's life for others in that, through that. I was talking with a friend this week who's one of their children is heading off to college. And he was talking about, as parents do, of college-age people, students, children, about what they would study in college and about the field this young person was intending to go into because it was going to be quite lucrative, which is the, on the minds of a lot of people when they go to college, of course. You're going to pay a lot of money and find a career and need to make a living. What if those decisions, though, were based not on how much money one could make, but on whether or not that was an opportunity to lay down one's life vocationally, in love for others? You know people who are living out Jesus' call to lay down their lives, maybe not with blood or heartbeats, but whose lives are this continual emptying of themselves for the sake of others, who think not of themselves, but of what's good for others. Go back to our definition of love. Who think not how they can be blessed, but how others through them might be blessed by God. It's a whole different way of looking at life and our lives and our world my sense is that very few of us have such a vision for our lives. What is your vision for your life? And how will it work out for the people around you, for the people in your community, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your family, the people in our world? Laying down one's life for friends isn't on a lot of our radars. Maybe because it hasn't had to be, or maybe because we simply haven't wanted it to be. Going back to the fruit that Jesus talks about earlier in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me disconnected from me, he or she can do nothing. That fruit is love. Now one last thing. We talk a lot about prayer. We pray. We ask people to pray for us. That's a regular part of most of our lives. Here is verse 7 of John 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh, good. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking at the benefactor, Jesus, now. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you, done for you, Santa Claus Jesus. Scroll down a few verses to 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Oh, good, thank you, benefactor, Santa Claus, Jesus. Whatever I ask, as long as I tag on in Jesus' name at the end, will be given to me. God forgive the church for taking verse 17 and verse 16 in John chapter 15 out of context and thinking it's all about me, when clearly it's all about love. Ask the Father how he can love others through you, and he'll make it happen. Ask the Father how your love can be an outpouring of his love for the world, for your community, for your family, and he'll make it happen. Ask the Father what it looks like for you to love the people you're not so interested in loving and for me to love the people I'm not always so interested in loving and he will show me. He will show you. Friends, this is great news. Could the world need anything else? We don't need any more materialism, epicureisms, consumerism, militarism, racism, sexism, ism, ism, ism. The world needs love. God is love. He loved his son, and he sent his son as love into the world to love us, that we might love him and that we might love one another, and that his kingdom might come on earth today as it is in heaven. May this be so. Let's pray. Impress upon us, God, your words, your truth, your way, your life. Impress them upon us gently but firmly that we might be molded, shaped, reformed, retooled, made anew, born again, into the image and likeness of love himself, Jesus. Forgive my and forgive our reluctance to love, to receive your spirit, to live out your spirit through the fruit your spirit bears. Heal the broken parts in us. Forgive our sin and our disobedience and our blatant rebellion. Help us to live in your love. Father, Son, and Spirit, amen.